Hello, and welcome to the Muses Lab, your destination for all things pleasure as it relates to our human experience, relationships, spirituality, and sexuality. I invite you to join me on this adventure of discovery and hope what you receive inspires you to become the muse of your life's journey. So without further ado, let's explore. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Muses Lab podcast. I am your host, Siobhan L., and I want to try something different um, in this season or the second half of, of season three, I think. Oh, season three of the Muses Lab podcast. Wow. Talk about consistency. <laughs> uh, there's something I want to do uh, or in addition uh, that I want to add called Q&A Tuesday, and I am in a space um, as I am beginning to level up, shall we say, or grow and evolve as a intuitive creator, spiritual creator, pleasure practitioner, um, and building, continuing to build, grow, and scale the Muses Lab. Um, I am at a point where it is time for me to really start digging in deeper into my story so that I can further strengthen my connection with the Muses Lab community and those who are seeking to enter the Muses Lab community. Or if you're just like, well, who the hell is this chick Siobhan L? (laughs) You know, just creating more relatability or bridge to relatability with um, all of you. And the interesting thing about that is I have always believed that I told my story but I'm realizing I've just told it to people who I've met in person. Like I haven't actually set aside time to talk about my journey and particularly my spiritual journey, my journey to pleasure, my journey with my uh, sexual expression. Like I haven't really talked about those things in detail and what ideal way to do that is (laughs) on the podcast. So I asked the community, they had any questions um, for me or things that they just wanted to know as I am getting into the rhythm of telling my story because all the information is in my brain, but it's often hard to access that information without a prompt. Maybe that's attributed to me being neurodivergent, but it is a challenge for me to just go into my mental filing cabinet pull out a particular file and then start to kind of read through the file, right? It's a challenge to do that without a prompt. So I asked the community if they had any questions, things that they wanted to know about me. And this question from community member, damn, is that Nia? Because <laughs> I'm not giving full government names. I'm going to give you a handle. But this question for uh, Q&A Tuesday, it's, it's actually twofold. It's possible that I may end up answering both questions as I am going through the answer itself, but I'm probably not going to go, okay, this is question one, here's the answer, this is question two, here's the answer, because my brain operates in stream of consciousness, (laughs) so I'm pretty sure as the information flows, I'll probably reach both of those questions, so the First question is, how did I learn to honor myself and stand in the woman that I am versus what the world expects of me? And then the second question is, how did I begin tapping into my spiritual gifts and showing up as my authentic self as a spiritualist, right? So as an intuitive and as a a spiritual creator, how did I begin showing up as my authentic self? And just me as a woman in general, how did I just push forward and uh, begin to show up as my authentic self? So it, this is about the authenticity of me versus how the world expects me to be. And you know what? I'm going to keep it a book. Like, I'm still learning how to do that. <laughs> I'm still learning how to do that. It is it is not the greatest challenge because I have a couple of journeys that I'm on that are great challenges 
for me, but it is one of my greatest challenges to continuously show up authentically as myself. So story time, look how this goes. So a couple years ago, I want to say this was probably 2018. Yeah, 2018, where are we, 2024? So what is that, six years ago? So six years ago, I started therapy finally. It's the first time I had been able to consistently keep up with therapy. I'd started therapy like 20 years ago, maybe not that far, maybe more closer to 15 years ago, but almost two decades ago, I started therapy. And uh, my first therapist (laughs) read me to filth. She she called me out so like there was a bit of eloquence to it, but it was just so nonchalant. Like, yeah, I see you <laughs> now. Now that I know who you are, let's let's get to the work. Not not just now that I know who you are. Now that you realize I know who you are, <laughs> let's get to the work. And I sat <laughs> I sat in the chair, just fully gagged, like. Oh, how did you, how did you figure that out? Because, you know, for those of you who have been following this podcast um, since its inception, you have probably heard me say that I have Scorpio placements. Even if you don't, this is your first time listening to an episode. If you follow me on social media, you know, I say I have Scorpio placements on a consistent basis, right? So, and I'm a Scorpio moon on top of that. So uh, one of my placements is a Scorpio moon. So being secretive and clandestine with my feelings and emotions and compartmentalizing my feelings and emotions so that, and this is not intentional, right? So I want to be very clear with what I'm about to say here. I don't intentionally make strategic moves on what parts of my emotions certain groups of people get. That's a natural (laughs) mechanism that I do. And I have learned that natural mechanism is defense, right? It's a a form of protecting myself because I don't know you. (laughs) So you're not going to get all what I consider, right? Because what I consider vulnerable and sacred and hidden is going to be different from someone else because feelings and emotions are real, right? They're valid, but they're also subjective and they're custom to the person, right? So what I feel is sacred, secretive, and uh, special to me and vulnerable to me, I have to let you in by levels. (laughs) There's levels, right? And not only are there levels, there's like glass doors, (laughs) And it's not frosted glass, it's clear glass. And you think you can see me, but you see what I let you see (laughs) until you have earned the next level. And on top of that, like there's levels, right? And then once you reach that high tier level, this is where like my close friends, my best friends, and those who I call like sestras or sisters, they're behind the velvet rope. And it's a small group of people, but I can count on one, one and a half hands. <laughs> That's how small this group is. I could count, may, maybe I can count on two hands, how many people are behind this velvet rope. It's a very selective, selective few who are behind the velvet rope. And you might think you're behind the velvet rope because you're at like, let's say this is level eight. <laughs> And level nine is like the velvet rope. You might think you're behind a velvet rope because that glass is a very pretty glass. It's very pretty. It's clear. It's crystal clear. And you can see. And you can because that's what I let you see. But everybody's not behind the velvet rope. So for that particular therapist to kind of see through those glass borders or barriers that meant something to me. And then I got laid off from my job like the next week. So I couldn't go back to therapy. So this particular therapist in 2018 that I'm speaking to allowed me a safe and brave space to explore me 
And what I learned is that when I moved to Jersey, for those of you who don't know, I live in Jersey. I'm a military brat. And my father's a Marine. And my parents separated right before my sixth birthday. And I was living in San Diego at the time. And my mother did what she needed to do for her. And um, sidebar, my parents were very young when they got married. They were in their early 20s. So they had me in their early 20s. And then they got married in their early 20s. And when we look at our parents, we look at them as these superhuman, above board, per- perfect shouldn't be making mistakes. You're an adult. You should know better. (laughs) That's how we look at our parents because we're children and we just see our parents in that regard. And they're supposed to be the ones that have the wisdom and the knowledge, right? The thing that my therapist helped me understand is that your parents did what they needed to do with the information that they had. And what I did was I looked back on where I was in my 20s the same age of my parents, right? Like I'm 42. So when my mother was 42, she had a college <laughs> a college graduate <laughs> in her life. Like I had just, I was getting ready to graduate college or I had, I had graduated college by that time. When my mother was 42, she had a college graduate <laughs> at 42. You feel me? So I think about, where I was in my 20s in comparison to where my parents were in their 20s and I give them grace (laughs) because I did not make smart decisions in my 20s at all (laughs) like at all I was not making smart decisions in my 20s so I think about that and I think about my parents at that age and I just show them grace right so when when we, well, my mother moved to Jersey. I thought we was coming here for the summer and then I just ended up in school and I have never left. <laughs> and that was like 36 years ago. <laughs> I've been here. I've been here ever since. I've been in Jersey ever since. So when we ended up coming to Jersey, I didn't know this at the time, but I started masking and, you know, when you enter a new environment, it's new people. And this was like a culture shock to me, right? Because if you know anything about Patterson, New Jersey, which is where I was raised, it's in a, it's what they would call an urban center, right? But AKA, I lived in the hood. <laughs> and I didn't grow up, my, my first five and a half, six years of my life, I didn't grow up in the hood. I grew up in the burbs. I'm a military brat. Like we <laughs> lived in suburbs or in a gated military community. Like that was my life. So because of that, I also lived in a very diverse community, right? So in San Diego, my two of my best friends were Mexican and white. And I didn't know that there were other people, other other ethnicities, I should say. I didn't know there were other nationalities besides Mexican. So when I came to Patterson, I didn't know that the the large vast of the population is Puerto Rican. So I thought everybody was Mexican, but that I was six years old. Like how did I how did I know that? I wouldn't know that at six years old because you only know what's in your environment. So it was a culture shock to be around so many black people because there were black people around, but not predominantly black. I didn't grow up in my first six years of my life or five and a half years of my life. I didn't grow up in a predominantly black neighborhood. But when I moved to Patterson, everybody was black. And if you've ever seen the movie Clueless, that is how I sounded when I moved to Patterson. So it was a huge culture shock. It was a huge adjustment for me. And I didn't know how to adapt to this environment because I was thrusted in it so quickly and so fast. It was literally like a blink of an eye. We moved, we came here for the summer like we would normally do to visit my grandparents. And then all of a sudden I was in school. So what I'm trying to wrap my head around is where's daddy? (laughs) So I'm in like this mental visceral state, just trying to figure out what's going on with my life because I didn't have time to adjust. And hindsight is 2020, right? Knowing now that I have ADHD, I definitely 
have been operating. Oh shit. I definitely have been operating in a dysregulated nervous state. Like my nervous system has been dysregulated for 36 years. (laughs) This is hilarious. My nervous system has been dysregulated for the last, well, I shouldn't say 36. I say, let's say the last 30. My nervous system has been dysregulated for the last 30 years because I never quite fully adjusted to the fact that I left San Diego, my parents had separated, and New Jersey had now been my new life. Like, no one said anything to me, and I'm Black. So I grew up in a Black home. No one's giving you any... (laughs) You're not having conversations. Like, the... Kids now, like younger millennials and Gen Z and Gen Y and whatever other letters that's out here, y'all got it good because your parents sit there and have conversations with you about the decisions that that are being made. I'm a geriatric older millennial. No one was talking to me about anything because I'm a child. So I didn't have a say (laughs) in the direction that my life was being pulled. So not only did I not know what was happening, it was very visceral. No one had a conversation with me, so I don't know what's happening. So I've been operating in a dysregulated state for such a long time. And when I started therapy, it hit me that I have been masking all my life because who am I (laughs) at this point? I don't know who to be. I just want to make friends. And it was easy for me to make friends every time we moved to the different uh, stations where where my father was stationed, the different states that we moved to, cities that we moved to, it just seemed easy to, for me to make friends. It was not easy for me to make friends <laughs> in Jersey. I mean, my bet one of my best friends that I have now, my sister that I have now, we've been best friends since first grade. So a lot of my close friends who are behind the velvet rope, we've been friends for over 30 years since since first grade. So I'm still close with a lot of people that I went to grammar school with and close with some of the people that I went to high school with as well. So, and that and that's just a testament to just people in general and how uh, when you are in alignment with people, that's, that's just what it is, right? So it was very challenging for me to navigate that space. And when I started the Muses Lab, and what a lot of people know as Save the Sex. When I started that, I was really in a space of just trying to figure out who who am I. I had gotten to a point where I felt like I didn't, I I couldn't quite grasp who I was. I started therapy because I was trying to figure out how to get out of my own way. And how to move to the next level of my life because it didn't make sense to me how I had this master's degree and all this knowledge and all this experience and I was still struggling. And at the time that I started therapy, um, I had I had been laid off uh, from my job three years and I had started working another place in the my manager was like really bad like she wanted me to work and I had walking pneumonia so I was like yeah I don't I don't think this is the right space for me so I left and um I had just I really had been just trying to figure out my life and I knew I wanted to freelance at the time or just have my own creative practice I knew that I wanted to have my own creative practice I knew it would be better if I worked for myself I just didn't know how to get there and again hindsight is 2020 I didn't know anything about me having ADHD like I would make little small jokes like I must have adult ADHD because my attention span is low not realizing that ADHD in itself is so much more than just quote unquote low attention span. (laughs) Like executive dysfunction is a real thing. And my challenges, because I don't want to call it an inability, but it is a challenge. My challenges with execution have kept me stagnant and kept me in a paralyzed state for such a long time. And I didn't realize it. this was an executive dysfunction of mine. And I didn't understand why I had challenges execution, executing things. And I would just call myself, I would label myself lazy. And I'm actually not a lazy person. It just, it is a challenge for me to organize things in my brain and take a step. 
because I stay in planning mode a lot. So I need community and I need people around me to kind of like give me a a little nudge and push me to the next level. So as I'm navigating, trying to understand why I keep spiraling and I keep finding myself back in the same position every year, that's when I started going on this journey of who am I and how do I not just present this to the world, but navigate, uh, navigate life. (laughs) How, how, how does me touching and agreeing and embracing who I am and being authentically myself, even the parts of myself that I would deem unfavorable or uh, weird or quirky, how do I allow that to be my superpower and use it and embrace it and allow those things to draw to me, magnetize to me the community that wants to experience me, that wants to invest in me, that wants to grow with me. And when I started therapy, I had already touched and agreed with my spiritual gifts. So I went on my spiritual journey in 2016 because I grew up uh, within the discipline of Ifa. And I talk about this in season one, episode two, when I talk about uh, protecting your head and how I grew up uh, in and around the Ifa discipline, but I was raised Baptist. So I'm, I'm baptized or saved is what people call. I was baptized when I was a kid. I was a church girl. But there was always something about being in the church that was just off, particularly sermons and how people interpreted the Bible, Sunday school and those things. And what drew me and what kept me in the church for as long as it did was just being in community, being being in community service because I was an usher and I loved being an usher. I love being in servitude to the community. And I realized that is part of my purpose, being in servitude to the community, that hospitality piece was very, very important for me. And it helped me thrive. I, I was fulfilled as an usher. And I don't know if I've ever said that out loud, but I was definitely fulfilled as an usher. Like singing on a choir was cool, but the usher board, being an usher was, was, that's the only thing about church really that I miss. Like I love listening to the choir, but being an usher, I miss being an usher. That is what I can say I miss about being in the black Christian church, being an usher. I I wouldn't have to do anything else. I would wear my uniform every Sunday. (laughs) One, because I don't got to worry about what I'm wearing. And two, um, and I wouldn't necessarily always have a seat, but depending on how many people in church, I might be guaranteed a seat. And I just, I love bringing people into the house of the Lord and seating them and making sure they're good and making sure everyone is enjoying their experience. And before I before I go off somewhere else, <laughs> there there's a reason why that's relatable to now that now I understand why I'm that person. But because I had already touched and agreed with my spiritual gifts, I touched and agreed with being, well, I touched and agreed with being clairvoyant and clairaudient and clairsentient. I hadn't touched and agreed with being a medium yet. But I touched and agreed because because actually I didn't even think I was, but I touched and agreed with being clairvoyant. I touched and agreed with being clairaudient, which is my strongest gift. That means I hear spirit. I hear I hear God. I hear spirit in my ear, my actual ear. I can hear my hear my spirits speak to me um, and clairsentient, which is uh the evolution of an empath. <laughs> so an evolution of an empath is someone who is clear sentient, which is you intuitively feeling and being able to synthesize the energies in the room, the energies of other and what's going on in, in the world. So the empath, once you stop absorbing other people's energy, you graduate to being clear sentient. Um, so I touched and agreed with those gifts. And because I had already embarked on that spiritual aspect of myself, therapy was actually easy for me. 
I was able to marry the scientific and the psychological aspects of therapy with the spiritual knowledge that I had acquired. And that allowed me to be able to alchemize all that I had been carrying, all that I had been holding back, and all that I needed to move forward. But that, my therapy session, I was in therapy for months. I had to be in therapy for at least six or seven months, maybe even close, not close to a year, but like definitely about eight months that I was in therapy and my therapist broke up with me. (laughs) She was like, you're good. You have all you need. And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is a good idea, but my therapist, she, she, she graduated me and she built me, gave me tools that I still apply to this day. And At the helm of my spiritual journey is when I started putting together my pleasure practice, which has now evolved into the Muses Lab. And the touch point that allowed me to fully embrace my sexuality, because it was very hard for me, right? It was very hard for me to embrace my sexuality because we talk about, or people talk about, I should say, binaries all the time. People talk about binaries and dualities all the time, like being off of the binary. It's not always black or white or to the left or to the right. But our dualities often can be a challenge when we do not or are removed from integrating ourselves, right? You start to recognize one aspect of yourself and you lean so much, it becomes a hyperfixation, right? You lean so much into that aspect of yourself that you almost abandon and not intentionally, but you abandon the other part of yourself that you have operated in so smoothly and succinctly. And then that part just kind of dials it itself down and then once you come out of that hyperfixation of this newness of this other aspect of yourself that you have now begin to recall you feel like a part of you is missing or like something is off or that things are feeling imbalanced and that's pretty much the journey that has been for me between integrating my spiritual and my sexual side. And when I say my sexual side, specifically my sexual expression, my sensuality, all those aspects of myself. And the thing about it is, is that those two are not mutually exclusive. Your spiritual aspect of yourself and the sexual sensual aspect of yourself are not mutually exclusive. They are inclusive, actually. They are actually intersecting and need to be cross-applied across the board. Because sex is a spiritual experience, right? Sex is spiritual. Sex is a portal. Sex is creative. Sex is manifesting. Like, sex and spirituality go hand in hand. Sex, Sex is a spiritual experience. You can see the divine with the right partner in the right environment with the right intentions you can manifest things sex magic is a thing you have things like tantra which i i am still learning but i know is is an aspect of a deeply spiritual aspect of of sex and intimacy and that intimate connection so those things should be married together but because we have been taught that one is the quote-unquote devil and the other is quote-unquote of God, trying to integrate those two becomes a battle within itself. It's almost It almost feels as if you are at war with yourself. And I had been at war with myself for years. For years, I had been at war with myself. I had people in my ear telling me, oh, you just, you, you showing too much on the gram. You're showing too much on social media. You can't be saying that. That's too sexual. You got to hide yourself. People are going to come stalk you. Like, what folks don't understand is that while the intention may be a warning, right, you're also hexing me at the same time because you're putting it out there 
that someone or something is going to come and, and harm me, right? It's not your insecurities or your apprehension of what you think other people are going to do to me, you are impressing that upon me. And if I take your word as authority because I trust you, I have now adopted your insecurity and now I have that insecure energy hanging around me. So that's why you got to be very careful as a person who is growing in your sexuality and growing in your spirituality, who you have conversations with, because unknowingly you'll begin to adopt other values, beliefs, and thought processes of other people, and those start to become your narrative. And you don't realize that you're weaving it into your narrative as you are trying to unlearn certain things. So as you are unlearning, you're relearning things that you that you are in the process of unlearning. And you start to think that this journey that you're on to uh stand fully in your spirituality and stand fully in your sexuality and become the woman that you know you, the woman or person, I should say, right? The Whomever you are designed to be, you start to find it, it becomes a challenge. This person that you, that you believe you are designed to be, it becomes a challenge because as you are unweaving things, people are weaving them back in, whether it is intentional or not. That's what they're doing. So then you start to say the rest of us who, <laughs> who are telling you to trust yourself and move forward and go on the journey and unlearn you think is bullshit. And that's because you got the wrong people around you. You don't, you may not know you do, but you have the wrong people around you who are replanting seeds and roots that you are pulling from your, pulling out from your soil. They're replanting those things without you even realizing that they are. So also on this journey, I'm going to get to the touch point that had me really unleash my sexuality. On this journey, I had to isolate myself from a lot of people. So I kept my circle small. And it's not that I meant to keep my circle small. I meant to isolate certain people. I did it because I needed to be able to decide or determine what was my energy and what was other people's energy. And... That's, that happens to take a toll on a lot of friendships because people think that you being funny. <laughs> people think that you being funny. People think that you are being, not just being funny, but that you are drawing a boundary with them or you are purposely removing them from your life and you're not purposely removing them from your life. You just need to kind of go in hermit mode real quick and really sit with yourself and attune to your own voice. When I touched and agreed with, with me being clear audience, I had to, I had to first be able to decipher my spirit's voice and my inner ego voice. And that was very hard for me to do. Because when you are clear audience specifically, you will think that you are being gaslit or that you are losing your mind. <laughs> because what are those voices in your head? And the world tells you that when you have voices in your head, that you need to check yourself into a mental institution. However, there, I believe there is a boundary between those of us who can hear spirit and who have the gift of prophecy and have the gift of premonition. There's a fine line between that and those who genuinely have mental health challenges and, and, and experience mental illness. I'm not a professional, so I can't tell you what that line is, but I know that there's a there's a fine line between between the prophetic and the mental health, right? The mental illness. Very fine line, very thin, <laughs> very thin line between that. So as, as a clear audience, I had to be able to decipher what was spirit's voice and not just, and when I say, when I'm saying spirit, I'm not just talking about the spirit of God. Like I have spirits, plural. When I say I have a divine squad, I have a squad, <laughs> squad up. <laughs> I have a squad. I have a team, uh, uh, 
uh, army <laughs> of spirits. And it's a vast majority of them. And they all have different voices, different accents, different experiences, and different purposes for entering in and out of my life. Each of my spirits, and particularly each of my ancestors, come in and out, in and out of my life in different at different touch points. So I needed to be able to, one, decipher between my ego, my little inner voice that was telling me that this shit was stupid. <laughs> you're losing your mind. (laughs) I had to be able to decipher between that, that inner voice and spirit and my spirits, plural voices. And then also I had to be able to determine what reason were they coming into my life? Because each of my different spirits have one main spirit God that, that follows along with me in the journey. She is my protector. And then I have other spirits that come in at certain touch points of my life. And I had to be able to decipher what what level, if you will, what level am I at or what lesson am I getting ready to learn? And what does this particular spirit God have for me as I am journeying through this part, whether it's shadow work or whether it's just me recognizing a certain thing, whether I'm leveling up in my gifts, I needed to be able to determine the purpose of said spirit. And once you are able to do that, and that does not happen overnight, that took me months, almost a year, close to a year to be able to decipher and I was able to do that through meditation. And I was never a, want a person to sit in lotus pose and sit still and play the music, but I had to. I had to learn how to do that. And whatever I saw in my mind's eye, I had to allow it to come through so that I could be able to decipher what I'm seeing, so that I can be able to understand dreams whether it's a daydream, a vision, or dream at night, I had to be able to understand symbols, colors, people. Like, what does that mean when a certain person is there? I recognize now that certain people come into my dreams because I they're familiar to me, and that may not be the dream is about them. They have a familiar aspect, or we have a connection, and there's a message behind that. So I needed to understand symbology of my dreams to be able to talk talk through my dreams and meditation allowed me to do that you may not necessarily have to sit in lotus pose and listen to sound bowls but you know meditation is i believe is the art of being able to hear without all the chatter in the background noises being able to listen so what can you do that doesn't have your mind racing where you can feel the silence of your your mind's eye, your mind, and be able to receive information and receive messages. So whatever that you can do where your brain is not being overactive, where it can be still, where it could be at peace, where it could be quiet, that is the meditative practice that you do. And that is how you learn how to listen to your inner self, right? Not the little part of you that's like, no, don't do this. This is scary. Not that part. I mean, yes, honor it, but also tell it to calm down. The other you, your higher self you or your favorite self you that's trying to meet you and merge with you so that you can be in alignment with who you are supposed to be. You need to be able to know who that voice is and what that voice sounds like. Your spirits, your ancestors, your angels, and whatever deities that are around you, you need to be able to decipher that so that you can hear the messages that's necessary for you. So once I was able to do that, Therapy was easy for me. And then I was able to find root in my spiritual foundation that allowed me to look at sex and pleasure and sensuality from a different lens. So before I operated from a pleasure-centered lens, I operated from a spiritual lens. And then on my journey to say it with sex, because I know I, I know I have divvied all over the place and I hope y'all following my stream of consciousness. <laughs> on my journey to say it with sex into what now has evolved as the Muses Lab, my goal was to understand who we are in sex 
and how did that translate across every aspect of our lives? I was dating. Can I say I was dating? I was in a situationship with this trash ass motherfucker. (laughs) I didn't realize he was trash like that when we were involved. But, oh my God. (laughs) You know, you, you... you reflect on people that you allow in your space. And then, you know, when you're in it, you can't see, you're blind. Don't let nobody fool you. I don't care how psychic you psychic you may be or whatever. You don't be knowing because you're in it. And your emotions are leading. And, you know, it, trust me, you don't be knowing. So give yourself grace when you end up messing around with, with a fuckboy. Because you thought... That person's representative was really good. Some people are just really good at their front-facing representatives. And sure, we see certain red flags, but particularly if you're a person who has had challenges with dating and are quick to cut people off and you find somebody that you kind of vibe with and there may be some, maybe some potential there, you want to give that person the benefit of the doubt. So give yourself grace. I just want the sidebar for that. Give yourself grace for being open to allowing a person to possibly change. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there, right? But this this motherfucker trash as hell, <laughs> and you know. This second time, yes, this second time that we had gotten together, um, it was at the height of the pandemic, and I knew my friends, certain certain friends are going to listen to this podcast, and this is the first time I said this shit out loud, <laughs> and I've never told them this. I've, I've kept this to myself, but this, this is here. This is going to be here in the podcast. Specifically because this is tying into with the with the world. And sometimes your world is your hyper-local community. It's not necessarily society. Sometimes world is your hyper-local community, your family, friends, etc. When he and I circled back, <laughs> it was at the at the height of the, the panini, season one of the panini, aka the pandemic. It was season one of the pandemic. And I ain't going to hold you like I was touch deprived. Like I'm not going to hold you. And you know, the sex with this particular person was reliable. (laughs) It was reliable. You know, we had equally, we had uh, proper COVID practices. So I knew, I, I knew where, where it was coming from. And I knew if I got some shit, I knew, I knew where, where the source was. Right. So, that's what it was. That's what it was supposed to be. And I let my friends, my close friends, them heifers that's behind the velvet rope. <laughs> I let these heifers convince me that I wanted more with him. They weren't wrong by saying that I really, I genuinely wanted to be in a real relationship. What they were wrong about is convincing me to try that with him. That was wrong. And they don't know. I'm never going to forgive them for that. <laughs> I love them dearly. But I'm, I am never. Ah, I don't think I'm going to forgive them hoes for that one. Because that that was visceral. The, the series of events that occurred after. I was like, what are we doing? Because really, I was about to break this shit off. It was getting boring anyway. Because after a while... When you just fucking somebody, like, if there's no, if there's no, uh, no adventure, no fun, that this is my Sag Rising talking. If there's no, <laughs> if there's no adventure, no fun, if we're not doing anything else besides, like, going over each other's house and fucking or whatever, like, that's boring. <laughs> 
that's just boring. It is. It's this. That's all we doing. After a while, that gets boring, and I want to do something else. Like I want to go out. I want to go places. You know, let's mask up and you know venture it. I want to go see fucking sunflowers. Like, like, let's go do some stuff. Like, that's all we doing. We just fucking. That's boring. So I was getting ready to end it because I was bored. And they were like, no, well, maybe he wants to be in a relationship. That motherfucker ain't want to be in a relationship with me. He was in a relationship with somebody else. (laughs) He lied to me. (laughs) I thought it was just me (laughs) that he was fucking with. He lied to me and put my health at risk. (laughs) And I let these heifers convince me to open the door for a possible relationship with this dude and screwed me over is light compared to what he did. And I'm not going to get into the specifics, but it put me in a space where it made me feel like I was unworthy, that I wasn't good enough because the chick that he was fucking with, not that she, you know, she all right, but like, (laughs) <laughs> you fucked around on me like why would you do that <laughs> i'm dope as shit like why the fuck would you do that <laughs> anyway like i i just was like it's all of me am i just not enough and i hit that touch point not in just relationships but also when it comes to career when it comes to my creative practice, when it comes to friendships, I'm always circling back. I don't like it, but I always circle back to like, am I enough? Am I doing enough? Am I showing up enough? Am I present enough? Am I enough? And he triggered that in me. Am I enough? And I just was like, fuck that shit. I am enough. I am enough. I'm beautiful. I'm sexy. I'm not going to let this motherfucker bring me into a space where I think I'm not sexy. So I was like, let me outwardly face, like outward facing. Let me show up for the black fat girls, the pudgy girls who used to be who you who really used to be bad bitches back in the day (laughs) but you know we kind of lost ourselves a bit and that happens because life happens I was like you know what I'm gonna show up for us the girlies that's like me I'm gonna show up for us and Instagram became my diary so to speak And I started showing up for my, like, I went and I invested in lingerie and I had always wanted to wear lingerie, but I was like, oh, I'm too busty and my belly and blah, blah, blah. I I, I let surface things stop me from like really indulging in certain aspects of uh, visual and textual pleasure that I wanted to experience. So I just went ham and I just started buying lingerie and I had locked my hair at the time. So I was going through my lock stage and I just showed up (laughs) and I did what I knew I was going to do. I encouraged other feminine spectrum persons to really start tapping into their sexuality and feel inspired by that. And that they didn't have to be like me and showcase that shit on social media. They could, they could do it wherever they wanted to, but I wanted to encourage them to show up. I wanted to encourage them and remind them that it didn't matter whether you kind of let your body go physically or if some, some asshole came and made you feel unworthy, that you are worthy. You are worthy. You are sexy. You are sensual. You are a pleasure filled being. You are a divine being and show up for yourself. Stand up in that, rise in that, lean into that, embody that. And that's, that's how I begin to evolve. Because I was not going to let that particular situation bring me into or spiral me into a dark place where all I can think about is how this motherfucker made me feel unworthy. Because I am worthy. He wasn't worthy of me. And also, I knew this wasn't going to go no fucking where. (laughs) Because I never actually wanted it to go anywhere. And I wasn't going to let my lapse of judgment and how he handled me 
stop me or put me in a negative space. So I visibly started to show up in my sexuality and in my sensuality on social media. And when I transitioned to the Muses Lab, there's a whole story behind that I'm not going to get into to, to that because then we'll be here all day. But when I transitioned to the Muses Lab, I circled back to the lesson that I was experiencing when I first started to show up on social media as this sensual, spiritual, sexual being, that discord between my spiritual side and my sexual side. And as I began to transition fully or evolve, I should say, evolve into the Muses Lab, what I didn't realize is that, or what was lost on me is that I needed to integrate. Like, yes, I tapped back into my sexual side and my sensual side. Oh, that was great. That was save the sex, right? That was the emergence of my sensual, my sensual, my sensual sexual self. And I had another page my Siobhan L page, where I highlighted and I stepped fully into my spiritual self. The Muses Lab was always supposed to be an integration of the two. <laughs> and it took me, It's it'll be officially three years in August that I have transitioned into the Muses Lab. And it took me two and a half years to realize that I was just supposed to <laughs> integrate all these things. And I had somebody in my ear, once again, actually the same person, once again, oh, you need to dial that down, you being too much, you doing too sexy, blah, blah, blah. And I recently got into human design, maybe like a year or two ago, I'm still learning. And I operate from my sacral center. Like I have a sacral center and I operate from my sacral energy. From an astrological perspective, I'm a 12th house Scorpio. So clearly, (laughs) I am supposed to operate from that is who I am like I'm a sexual being it is it is literally who I am I came down here full of sexual energy right and not just the sex the sexy energy like I want to fuck you sexy energy like creative sexual energy like I am I am a sensual sexual creative being that is literally who I am and when I am out of alignment operating not operating in my sacral or sacral energy, when I'm not operating from that space, I'm incomplete. And I turn that part off from me. Like I I thought I dialed it down, but I actually turned it off. And it was so hard for me to fully transition to the muses lab to this evolution of myself with me as the muse like it's me I'm the muse I am the source of inspiration because now I am supposed to be operating fully in my spiritual my sensual and my sexual self I'm supposed to be operating fully as an integrated being embodying those layers of myself not compartmentalizing not uh, turning one thing off and turning one thing up a little more. It is supposed to be an even flow. It's supposed to be an even flow of all the different aspects, all the different layers, all of my gifts, an even flow of it all intersecting and moving like the infinity sign. A flow. I didn't. I didn't know that until now. And because I I turned the sexual part of myself off, I almost shut down the muses lab. <laughs> I was like, I don't think this was the right idea. <laughs> I was going to change the name. I was going to close my practice. I was like, fuck it. You know, I'm trying to do this creative practice and, you know, tap fully into to my gifts. But this isn't working. And I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to just do this full-time job. I'm going to (laughs) go be a DEI consultant. And now DEI is under attack, baby. (laughs) So (laughs) can you imagine? I was going to be DEI consultant, get my SHRM certification and work in HR. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to just climb the corporate ladder. And then, you know, my spirits was like, yeah, that's not for you. (laughs) And the most detrimental way (laughs) was like, yeah, that's not for you. 
And as many times as I tried to abandon the muses lab or abandon what this 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 space was supposed to be, I always kept finding my way back. So I had to take a step back and go like, what is it? I had to tap back into my divination tools because even my intuition had turned off. Like that part of myself had dialed down. In the midst of me finding out that I actually am a medium. (laughs) So in the midst of me actually like realizing that I, oh shit, I really am a medium. My intuition had been dialed down. I had been separate from it. I hadn't been trusting myself. I was just in this weird vague ambiguous space and there were a lot of series of events that led me to take another step back and ask Siobhan who the fuck are you like who are you and not just who are you who do you want to be what does your desired reality look like What is it that you really want to accomplish? And even that was hard. Because at the end of the day, I want to make a living being a full-time creative. I want to host retreats for feminine spectrum persons so that we can tap into our full creative and pleasure-centered selves. All up in our creative and pleasure frequency. I want to write things. I'm a writer. I want to write things. I want to write stories. I want to write guidebooks. I want to write think pieces. I want to write blogs. I just want to write things. And some of those things I want to make money off of. And some of those things I just want to share with the world. I want to create things, whether it's social media content or podcasting or perfume oils, a curated box series, oracle decks affirmation decks, journals, like I want to create things. I I don't necessarily see myself as a maker, but the vision that I have for things with my hands, you know, I may not be sculpting or painting, but I'm digitally creating things with my hands, right? So I'm still operating in a tactile space. I think we become far removed from that, right? So when we think of people who are tactile creatives, we're thinking about people who are creating, literally creating things with their hands, like architects are tactile creative, sculpts, sculpt, sculptists are uh, sculptors, are tactile creatives, painters are tactile creatives, uh, sewers, dressmakers, they're tactile creatives, tufters, people who tough things, they're tactile creatives people who are calligraphists, um, are hand lettering specialists, uh, designers, doodlers, those are tactile creatives. But just because I'm not actually physically touching the material that I'm creating with does not remove me from being a tactile creator because graphic designers are tactile creatives. They use digital tools. Writers are tactile creatives because we type with the keys. The, the vision is in our mind's eye, but we translate that vision through our hands, right? So I, 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 anyone who's listening to that part, if, you, if you're this far, if you stayed this long, <laughs> if you stayed this long, I want you to know that, right? I want to make things with my hands. But also, I want to travel the world and experience of the cultures and allow those things to inspire me and to influence what I create and what I share with the world. I want to be in servitude to others. So I I love one-on-one coaching. One-on-one coaching is tiring for a lot of people, but I love one-on-one coaching. I love one-on-one coaching. I love group coaching. I love teaching a class. I love presenting things to people because it's a way for me to share my knowledge and to share a part of my heart. Oh, I can feel my heart. I can feel my heart. Uh, not tensing up, but I can just feel my heart. It's a way for me to share a part of my heart with the world. I love those things. And I want to make a living, not just an honest living, a luxurious, opulent, easeful, fruitful, delicious, yummy living off of being a creative in every aspect of the world and every possibility that is in alignment with me. I want to live my life as a creative. And it was really hard for me to say that shit out loud <laughs> because it sounds lofty as hell. It was really hard for me to say that out loud because I didn't want people to come back and be defeatist and talk about all the things that I'm not doing. <laughs> all the things that I'm not doing 
that's not reaching me to this height wall. You say you want to do that, but you're not doing this. You say you want to do that, but you're not doing that. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I just needed someone to be like, Siobhan, that's dope as fuck. How can I help? And not many people have done that. So I kept that part to myself. And when it came time to do things like vision boarding and manifestation and stuff, it was really hard for me to acknowledge that because I could hear the people who have always been in my ear being defeatist, being defeating, imparting their insecurities on me, imparting their whatever projected feelings onto me, the the wish that they could have the same thought <laughs> and dream, but they just weren't brave enough to go go for it because they chose the path of, you know, the blueprint, the societal blueprint. They chose that path. And because I am a disruptor in many ways and know that I can create life outside of the blueprint, because I know that about myself, I became an enemy. I became a problem, a problem that people needed to contain. I became someone that people needed to contain. And I fought with that for a very long time. And I'm finally in a space where I am not fighting because I, <laughs> I ain't got no fight with y'all motherfuckers. <laughs> Me fighting with people who do not influence my growth, my, my money frequency, my personhood, people who don't have a, a, a stake in the game, don't have skin in the game when it comes to me. Fighting with them is just a distraction. And I'm no longer allowing myself to be distracted by people who have their own personal issues with why their lives it is the way it is. Because that don't have nothing to do with me. And I'm no longer allowing people to project their insecurities onto me. Like, I hear you, but I don't receive it. And I'm going to give it back. I'm going to return to sender because that's not mine. So to answer the question, what did I do to become authentically myself versus what society wants me to be? I just chose me. (laughs) That was the long-winded answer of I chose myself. I chose myself and I'm constantly unlearning the narratives that prevent me from choosing myself. I'm constantly letting go of things that do not belong to me. I am not constantly, but I'm often allowing my roots to grow and replanting myself in soil that is fertile, nutritious, luscious, and has room for growth. And I'm not, I'm no longer, I'm no longer seeking that instant gratification I accept that this is a journey and this is a long road and this is going to take me a while and it's not going to happen overnight. And that that dopamine rush of things happening instantly, I'm letting it go. Like I've received the dopamine rush, but I'm not hanging on it so that I'm always searching for the dopamine rush because that's temporary. I know what the feeling is. So what are the long-term events and occurrences in my life that's going to not just give me that temporary sensation, but that's going to elongate that feeling across every aspect of my life as I am on this journey. People constantly talk about, oh, you got to heal yourself. Healing is a constant. (laughs) Healing is not a one and done. It is a constant. I I haven't done this I haven't done this podcast yet but I'm going to do this podcast on people pleasing because I thought I had healed quote unquote from being a people pleaser and I'm realizing that there are levels there are levels to people pleasing levels things that you don't even realize is people pleasing as very passive and is people pleasing so those uh, lessons show up constantly in my life so that I can uh, receive the lesson and move on. But the way to authentically show up as yourself is to always choose yourself. 
and not just choose yourself, accept yourself as you are. Like I'm quirky as hell. I'm nerdy as hell. I'm goofy as hell. I have my bitchy moments. I have my moments of isolation where I don't feel like being bothered. I have moments where I want to be in community with people. I have moments where y'all just need to shut the fuck up because I don't want to talk to nobody. I have moments where I'm deep in my creative bag and I'm in my zone and I just need peace and quiet. I have I have moments where I'm horny as hell and I really need to be in intimate community with people or or somebody. Like there's so many different aspects and so many different layers of me and I have touched and agreed that that is all of me and I am imperfectly perfect. And I just show up as that. I don't I don't have to mask myself for other people's approval or to be liked or to feel validated. I came down here validated. My soul came down here validated. My soul came down here ordained. My soul came down here worthy. I'm just having this human experience and getting back to the person that I was supposed to be when I came down here. I'm remembering who who I am. But you got to choose yourself and you got to accept the human parts of yourself before you try to fully embrace your, your divine your divinity, your soul divinity. You got to accept the human part of yourself and allow that part to integrate. So I hope that answered your question, boo. <laughs> I thought it was a long one, but um, yeah, this was good. I feel, I feel good. I'm glad I shared all these different parts. And um, yeah, thank you for tapping in. And if you have a question, Feel free if you follow me on social media at the Muses Lab. Uh, don't forget the S T H E M U S E S Lab, both on TikTok, Instagram, and Threads. The Muses Lab. If you follow me on there, shoot me a message, send me a question, or you can email hello at themuseslab.com. With your question, just make sure you put Q&A Tuesday in the subject line. Send me some questions and I'll answer them during the podcast. No worries. We can keep keep it anonymous. Or if you want to have your uh, handle, social media handle, shout it out. Feel free to add your social media handle there. And um, yeah, thank you for tapping in. And until we meet again. Thank you for tapping into the Muses Lab. I hope you enjoyed this week's adventure. Be sure to like this episode, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and share the wealth with others. Dive deeper into the lab by joining the Pleasure Frequency List at www.themuseslab.com. Receive weekly musings, early access, and exclusive drops, as well as discounts on products and services. Thank you once again for tapping in. Until next time.